Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast. This is episode number 96 in our series. I'm your host, Rick Cole, and each week we take you on a trip down memory lane, back 50 years, and we report to you all the hockey news just as it was reported by some of the greatest sports writers in history. And in this week, we're looking at August 23rd to 31st, 1971. Well, sports fans, this is the time of year so many of you love. The National Football League is back, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving all new players a can't-miss offer for Week 1. Bet just $1 on any NFL game during the first week of the season, and you can receive... $200 in free bets instantly, no matter what. Take advantage of this limited time offer right now. You heard right. DraftKings has given all new players $200 in free bets instantly when you place a bet of $1 or more on any week one game. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now to check out all the great promotions and daily odds boosts. Plus, you can make every game a big game with the same game parlays. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN, that's THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network, to receive $200 in free bets when you place $1 bet on any Week 1 game. Promo code THPN to get your free $200 in free bets instantly. Now this is for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the National Football League. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. New customers only restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for all the details. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. And along with DraftKings, we're also sponsored by Newspapers.com, the world's largest online newspaper archive. And without their support, we couldn't do what we do with this podcast on our daily Twitter account. And of course, don't forget the Breakwall Brewing Company in beautiful downtown Port Colborne, Ontario. I was there this week, had a Breakwall Burger, and it was absolutely amazing. That's the Breakwall Brewing Company in beautiful downtown Port Colvern. Now, if you like what we do here every day on Twitter, and of course each week on the podcast, you can support us by going to patreon.com slash hockey50years and subscribe to the podcast. Subscribers not only get early access to each week's free podcast, but we have some really neat special content that we put out a few times each month where we delve a little more deeply into the hockey issues that were prominent 50 years ago. That's patreon.com slash hockey50years to subscribe and we thank you for your support. So here we are, the final week of August 1971, the unofficial end of summer as far as I was concerned. And uh, the summer went by pretty fast, didn't it? Uh, And not only the 71 summer, which really whizzed by for me, but here we are 50 years later and I can't believe how quickly the summer has slipped by us. 
Now, the summer of 71 was a most unusual end of summer for me. For the first time since I had begun grade school way back in the mid-50s, and there was no kindergarten where I lived, uh, only a one-room school that I attended the first several years of my educational life. But for the first time, I was not returning to an educational institution after Labor Day. Now, thanks to what the reason for this was that uh, thanks to an acute lack of funds, I had decided to take a year off school, work full time, and then get back to university the following fall. And in fact, that is exactly what I did. I took a little different direction than I had started, and I ended up at McMaster University in the fall of 1972. I wanted to see what the full-time working world was like. I wanted to see what it was like to be completely more or less on my own and to make my own money, but mainly I wanted to save up money for another couple years of university. Well, it was a very interesting experience and one I won't forget for a lot of reasons, uh, which I'll go into maybe in a a future show. Uh, That year working for the Canadian Tire Store in Port Colvern for Port Colvern's Senior A goalkeeper was... uh, Really an eye-opener in many, many ways. Uh, But working like this, it did allow me to actually throw myself into the local hockey scene completely, and I learned so much about the game of hockey and a lot about myself. Now, in the final week of August back then, we weren't getting a ton of hockey news, but we do have a few quick hits for you to start things off. Earlier in the week, actually right on Monday, we got a bit of insight into how the California Golden Seals were going to operate under new general manager Gary Young, a relative neophyte to the hockey management business. Uh, he was a much ballyhooed signing by Seals owner Charles O'Finley, and ultimately this would prove once again that he really didn't know hockey or the people who should be running things. The Canadian press reported that rookie general manager Gary Young of the Seals said he expect most of his players will seek arbitration before signing their 71-72 NHL contracts. The team invited more than 80 players to training camp, which was to open on September 13th. Only six players of the 80 that are invited... And only six players are under contract for the coming season. But Young, who was appointed to the GM's post in May by Charlie Finley, defended his hardline approach to salary negotiations by pointing to the Seals' dismal record and finish last season. Young said a lot have been said about the situation, but I can't see how any of last year's regulars can ask for the raises they're asking for after the team finished last a year ago and gave up 320 goals, which of course was at the time a record for a National Hockey League club. Young said that a number of Seals players have been offered reduced salaries. Can you imagine a team offering a player a reduced salary today. Now, we have guys like Jason Spezza and Joe Thornton who took the minimum salary uh, limit for a veteran in order to play for the Maple Leafs, and which was a nice thing for them to do, but they weren't offered that. They voluntarily took uh, those salaries. Back in those days, you got salary cuts almost as often 
as you got raises if you weren't producing in the NHL. Although that era was very close to coming to an end. But at this point in time, Young had felt he had to justify offering players salary cuts. He said that there are some players we feel didn't contribute anything last year, so I can't see how they expect to make the same amount of money. Young, who was a resident of Oshawa, Ontario, moved to the California club after quitting as a head scout for the Boston Bruins, which would have been in the spring of 1970. He said he is taking the same hardline approach with his rookies. Young said until they prove themselves in the NHL, we aren't prepared to pay the salaries they're asking. Just just so you know, players who were signed by the Seals so far included uh, Norm Ferguson, Joey Johnson, Walter McKechnie, Ron Stackhouse, Dick Redmond, and goalkeeper Gary Kirk. Jim Proudfoot of the Toronto Star was reporting that Gilbert Perrault, the flashy young center of the Buffalo Sabres, was about to become the first National Hockey League player to be represented in his off-ice activities by a major and as of yet unnamed Canadian advertising firm. And I think the reason Jim wouldn't name the company was because they were not a company that uh, was friendly to his paper, the Toronto Star, but rather to a, a competing publication. Montreal Canadians were busy signing players this week and they started things off on Monday by getting veteran right winger Claude LaRose under contract and then they followed that up the very next day by giving center Jacques Lemaire a substantial raise when he signed his 71-72 pact and if you remember last year Lemaire I think he scored 37 goals yeah that would be worthy of a raise in the NHL of 50 years ago wouldn't you think? We learned this week of a very interesting hockey tournament that was being set up uh, by the OHA Senior A Aurelia Terriers uh, to be played this fall during the National Hockey League and Minor Pro League training camps. Uh, And, uh, well, the Salt Lake Golden Eagles were the one that actually brought it to my attention. And uh, we got a news item from one of the Salt Lake newspapers saying that the Golden Eagles would participate in a four-team preseason tournament to be hosted in Aurelia, Ontario on September 24th to 25th. Hosting the tournament would be the Aurelia Terriers of the OHA Senior A. The Terriers, of course, are a perennially uh, high-class, very competitive senior A team, always in the running for the Allen Cup Championship. And uh, other teams in the tournament are going to be, besides the Terriers and the Golden Eagles, the Cincinnati Swords and the Tulsa Oilers. The draw for the two-day tournament hasn't yet taken place, but Salt Lake says that they're going to play two games in the tourney for sure. However, this will increase its uh, preseason schedule now for the Golden Eagles to eight games. Very interesting tournament. Should uh, prove to be uh, a pretty uh, interesting to see how an Ontario senior, senior A team and most of the guys who are playing senior A hockey, I would say more than half, played some kind of at least minor pro. And some guys like the recently required Daryl or retired Daryl Sly, uh, he's going to play senior A in Collingwood this year. And don't be surprised if the Terriers pick up a few of uh, 
of the former pros from the other teams in their league to play in this tournament as well. No word on what the uh, prize money or awards would be, but it will be a good test for the minor pros and for the senior A guys alike. As we got to Tuesday, besides the Montreal signing, we talk about the Bruins were busy getting players under contract. They signed Ron Jones, who spent five years as a defenseman with the Edmonton Oil Kings, and he was the first draft pick of the Bruins in the June amateur draft. He signed a two-year contract with the NHL club. Of course, no terms were, were announced. And also signing were veteran players Kenny Hodge, Wayne Cashman, Mike Shaky Walton, and the veteran goalkeeper, Eddie Johnson. And once again, no terms on those signings. Minnesota North Stars announced three more signings from Tuesday as well. Defenseman Tom Reed, right winger Fred Buster Harvey, and center Terry Caffrey signed their 71-72 contracts. Reed's 25. Uh, He made his fourth full season in the NHL last year, his best season. He scored three goals. Tom, definitely a stay-at-home defenseman, not a scorer. He was particularly effective on the blue line for the North Stars during the Stanley Cup playoffs. And Buster Harvey is only 21 years old, and he was Minnesota's number one draft pick in the 1970 amateur draft. Now, he missed a, a big part of last season because of a leg injury, but he came back to finish the year with the North Stars and play in the playoffs. Terry Caffrey is a year older than Harvey at 22. He's a center, and he uh, came to the North Stars. I think he originally was with Chicago and came to the North Stars in one of the many trades at GM Ren Blair had made the North Stars now had 14 of their 19 roster players under contract. Now, a little side bit to this story that we came across. The official team release was that these three guys had signed but there were reports in both Minnesota newspapers and some outside sources that said that the North Stars had also signed Bill Goldsworthy right winger star right winger and the veteran goalie the great Gump Worsley however Ren Blair when these stories came out absolutely refused to confirm that the two players had indeed agreed to terms and the players were not available for comment. So we really weren't sure what was happening there, but usually news like this doesn't leak out unless it's leaked by one of the two sides. Later in the week, we did hear some more SEALs news, but this wasn't really uh, California SEALs news as much as Baltimore Clippers news. Uh, This was nothing much uh, done by Gary Young, but more due to the hard work of the Clippers general manager coach, Terry Reardon, who really did live his job as general manager coach of the AHL team uh, 24-7. He was the hardest working minor league executive. I, I had a nice story about Terry and Eddie Chadwick. Uh, when Eddie was let go by the American Hockey League Buffalo Bisons just to begin the 1967-68 season, in a very curious move, by the way, Terry Reardon said, told Ed that he had been trying to trade for him all summer, but Buffalo general manager Freddie Hunt, this is the Buffalo Bisons general manager, refused to trade Ed to the Clippers earlier in the summer. And then 
during training camp after Ed had arranged to rent a house in nearby Fort Erie and get his kids in school. Hunt tells uh, Eddie Chadwick he's finished. And of course, that, that really messed up Ed Chadwick's life for a short period of time. Terry Reardon said he would have liked to have signed Ed, but it was already during training camp. And what happened was he did go to work and he did help Ed find a job in hockey, a job which began a very long and very illustrious scouting and coaching career in the NHL. And we'll tell you more about that in another show. Anyway, with training camp just over three weeks off, Terry Reardon announced that he had managed to get five players assigned to the to the Baltimore Clippers from the California Golden Skeels. Scheduled to report directly to the Clippers training camp in Hershey, Pennsylvania on the 20th September will be centers Joe Zura and Howie Menard, left winger Barry Bugner, right winger Hilliard Graves, and veteran defenseman Dick Mattiusi. Thursday saw the Hockey Hall of Fame induction ceremonies held at the Hall's location on the Canadian National Exhibition Grounds in Toronto, Ontario. Some 300 guests, including about 22 honoured members, were present for the induction ceremony. The five new members of the Hall are Terry Sawchuk, Harvey Busher-Jackson, Ralph Cooney-Wyland, Dr. Gordon Roberts, and Arthur Wirtz. Not expected to attend, and in fact he didn't attend the ceremonies, was Con Smythe, who resigned as chairman of the Hall Selection Committee after the announcement in June that Busher Jackson was among those being honored by the selection committee. Jackson, who died five years earlier, was a member of the famous Toronto Maple Leafs kid line with Joe Primo and Charlie Conacher in the 1930s under team owner Smythe, who was then also managing the team. But Smythe maintained the opposition to Jackson joining the hall because of the player's rather controversial and unsavory off-ice activities, still holding a grudge Smythe just quit the hall. Now, I felt this was a very uh, hypocritical move by Con Smythe. The only reason I felt that way was because I had many long conversations with the former Leaf great Teeter Kennedy, and Teeter related to me some of the things he had to do as captain of the Maple Leafs and uh, Smythe's top employee, so to speak, uh, he was required during his uh, off time, off ice time, to attend several functions at the Smythe, Con Smythe's residence. And these functions were, if you knew Teeter Kennedy, not the type of things he liked to attend. In fact, he loathed going to these things. He worked out a deal with Smythe that he would show up, he'd shake a few hands of police chiefs and lawyers and judges and doctors, and then, uh, some activities with which Teeter uh, abhorred, he would not agree with, would begin to take place and Teeter would slip out the back door unnoticed and would not participate in any of those activities. But it was okay for Smythe and his cronies to do that, but not a former player who probably was woefully underpaid by Smythe as well. 
We did want to talk a little bit about this Hall of Fame class for a couple other reasons, which will become apparent as I uh, bring you this story. And this is by Dick Beddows of the Toronto Globe and Mail. Now, you have to remember, Dick Beddows was fast and loose with the facts with many things, but he did report on this. The Hall of Fame induction ceremonies were a particularly uh, favorite topic of Dick. So we'll just bring you his story that appeared in the Globe and Mail. Uh, Kim Jackson, the 16-year-old son of the late left wing and the kid line of the old Maple Leafs, Harvey Jackson, was the major beneficiary of the Hockey Hall of Fame inductions at the CNE. Hall of Fame selector Milt Dunnell announced in presenting Jackson's plaque that, quote, you've got a wonderful opportunity through hockey. The president of the NHL, Mr. Clarence Campbell, has asked me to announce that the league has guaranteed your education for as long as you want to collect college degrees. Now, Donnell added, you can go on until you get a Rhodes Scholarship if you like and then come back from Oxford like Mr. Campbell did and claim his chair as president of the NHL. Campbell, who's been president of hockey's major league since 1946, was a Rhodes Scholar from the University of Alberta in 1925. Kim Jackson, dark and mod in a double-breasted plum-colored suit, made a simple response. On behalf of my father, thank you. His father, known as Busher, skated to a prominence 40 years ago in a swift alliance with Joe Primo and Charlie Conacher. Primo and Conacher were elevated to the Hall of Fame several years ago, but Jackson was barred until two months ago when he received his selection. The uh, election precipitated the resignation of Con Smythe as the honorary director of the selection committee. The combative founder of the Maple Leafs contended that Jackson's behavior off the ice should have forever eliminated him from Hall of Fame consideration. Smythe's son, Stafford, the current president of Maple Leaf Gardens, expressed greater forbearance. The kid line should have gone into the Hall of Fame as a unit, but Jackson's troubles had nothing to do with his class as a hockey player. So he disagreed with his father, which I think this is one thing Stafford Smythe got right. Now, Busher's son has lived for the past four years with his mother in Langley, B.C., where she operates an antique shop called Valley Traders. He recently returned to live with his half-brother, Gary Garrett, who lives in Mississauga. Uh, Kim said, I'm in grade 10, and I hope to take advantage of the NHL offer. My grades are average in most subjects, but really good in science and physical education. I haven't played hockey, though, since the early grades. I've more been interested in track. Busher Jackson was one of five admitted to a lodge that now includes 135 players, 483 builders, and seven referees. And in many cases, that builder category is where you get one of your cronies in there when he didn't really play the game, and you can kind of slide him through with some uh, rather nebulous qualifications that we found with a lot of guys. Others, like for instance, the, the, the great Herb Carnegie, may not have had the playing credentials, definitely deserved right now, 50 years later, induction into the Hockey Hall of Fame. And there is, in fact, right now as I speak, uh, a petition uh, going around allowing people to sign up to petition the Hockey Hall of Fame to admit Herb Carnegie. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, 
Google Herb Carnegie hockey player and you'll find out what a wonderful, amazing hockey player and man he was. I had the pleasure of meeting Herb Carnegie once and he was an amazing individual. I'll never forget it. He was a special human being. Some of the others that were inducted last night, well, we talked about Terry Sawchuck. He had 20 big league seasons, appeared in 971 regular season games. He had a lifetime goals against average of 2.52, and he registered 103 shutouts, an NHL record that would stand for many, many years. He won the Vesna Trophy three times in Detroit, and he shared it once with Johnny Bauer when they played for the Maple Leafs together. Emil Francis, general manager of the Rangers and former goalkeeper himself, eulogized Sawchuk by saying when the odds were the greatest, Terry was the toughest. And for my money, if I had to win one hockey game and needed to pick a goalkeeper, it would be Terry Sawchuk. Others inducted were, of course, Arthur Wirtz, chairman of the Chicago Blackhawks, Cooney Whalen, who was a slick center for the Boston Bruins. Uh, they had a line called the Dynamite Line 40 years ago. In 1970, it was 40 years ago. And his uh, accomplices were Dick Clapper and the late Dutch Gainer. Whalen sat at the ceremony between Sawchuk's son, Jerry Sawchuk, who accepted his father's award, and Kim Jackson. In a classy move, Cooney Whalen, sitting between the two sons of the Hall of Famers being inducted, said, you know, I never played against Terry Sawchuk, but I did play against Harvey Jackson. And I only want to say to you, Kim, that he was quite a hockey player. No offense, but I'm sorry that your dad isn't here in your place. A little bit of Vancouver Canucks news. The Vancouver Canucks directors had a meeting in Vancouver this week. And one of the directors, Tom Scallon, who is the president of Metacor, the organization, American organization, that owns the Canucks, was served with a writ claiming damages against him and other club directors. Uncle Ben's Tartan Breweries Limited, owned by Ben Ginter of Prince George, B.C., in the writ, claims damages for fraud or negligence as a result of a transfer of $3 million from Northwest Sports Enterprises Limited, which owns the Canucks, to its parent company, Metacor of Minneapolis. The writ was filed on August 17th, and it said that a Northwest Sports prospectus did not make a full disclosure of Northwest's financial situation at the time of a public share offering. The brewery said it purchased 3,000 units of Northwest Capital stock last year for $675,000 on the basis of the prospectus, which is supposed to include information like that, and it didn't. Thus, the writ for the damages that they felt they'd incurred by buying stock, of which they were not given full disclosure. 
It was actually a pretty interesting scene. Scallon, as he often is, was late for the meeting. He, he's, a, he's a big shot American. He doesn't have to be on time for these uh, Canadian yahoos up north. But So he shows up for the meeting late. And as he walked off the elevator, he walked right into the arms of bailiff Clifford Venables, who promptly served him with the writ, claiming the damages against him and the other directors of the club. And this completely blindsided Scallon he had absolutely no clue that this was going to happen and uh, to say he was upset would be an understatement and the Vancouver writers are having a field day with this and using it as fodder for their campaign to get the Canucks to be under uh, Canadian ownership completely and to basically kick the Americans out. And more news, bad news for the Canucks. The Canucks are going to have to change their training camp location. But Poyle announced on Friday of this week, Poyle said a new ice plant in the Calgary Corral, where the camp is scheduled to open on September 13th, had simply blown up and the rink won't be in operation before September 22nd, and it's going to take a few days after that, I think, to get the ice to uh, the quality that they'll need it to be. So the Canucks are going to try and work out an arrangement for ice time, either at Medicine Hat or at a second choice in Edmonton, and if they can't get the ice time in either of those centers, uh, Poyle says they could end up training in their own rink in Vancouver. A bit of a mess for the Canucks for their training camp just a couple of weeks away. One of the big uh, rule changes for the NHL this year is uh, their efforts to try and stop bench-clearing brawls. And so here is a story from the Globe and Mail. We don't have a byline on this one, unfortunately, of the NHL efforts and what they're doing to try and stop the brawls. The NHL continued its boardroom warfare against on-ice brawling with the addition of yet another rule. As of the first exhibition game this season, any player who physically becomes involved in a fight between two other players immediately earns himself a game misconduct and a $100 fine. The game misconduct, of course, means that's automatic ejection from the contest. Scotty Morrison, the National Hockey League referee-in-chief, termed the new legislation a, quote, major rule after meeting with the League Rules Committee at the Royal York Hotel this week in downtown Toronto. NHL President Clarence Campbell explained the importance of the rule by saying that the linesmen are quite capable of handling an altercation if two men are involved in it. Where the problem, Campbell says, comes up is when a third man comes in to help out. Then almost automatically, and especially so if one team is shorthanded, you get the players coming off the benches. The league installed other rules in June, which it's hoped would reduce the popularity of the bench-clearing brawls, and one was changed a little bit yeah, this week at the meeting. When a player is first off the bench during an altercation, he receives a game misconduct, and his team gets a double minor, meaning a four-minute minor penalty. According to the original rule, the penalty was to have been a game misconduct and a major five minutes. And I don't really understand what the difference was in making it a double minor instead of a major, unless they maybe want this to continue. 
but they're trying to show that they don't. You know what I mean? It's a shell game. Now, here's here's what they're trying to get by this. The alteration is considered an improvement because coincidental major penalties incurred by each team cancel each other and have no effect on the number on the ice. But if it's a single major to one guy, then of course it has the effect. And all they have to do was make it that. This is just, again, lip service as far as far as I can see. Now, they did go to say, defending their, their position, they said that the double minor has a moderating effect of limiting the number of goals which can be scored during the time of the penalty, thus reducing its effectiveness for the purpose that the rule is being instituted. But they don't mention that, do they? The only time the NHL is going to reduce bench-clearing brawls is when the general public, the general fandom, general society says this hooliganism has to stop. And if you know hockey history, and I will be reporting on it over the next few years, this isn't going to stop bench clearing brawls. And in fact, they will be on the rise as the 70s wear on. Now, they weren't done. They weren't done with the rule changes. The final rule change announced after the meeting this week increases the penalty to a goalkeeper who leaves his crease during an altercation. As before, he's fined $100 or more depending on his record. But now he's also given, wow, a two-minute penalty to be served by a teammate on the ice at the time. The general managers of the various teams were actually joking after the meeting about the end of fighting in the NHL. Clarence Campbell's opinion was this. What we've done is make them, the brawls, terribly expensive. The point may be made in an exhibition game when the rule is enforced. The league, of course, as we have mentioned, was concerned with the increase of brawls slowing the tempo of its games. Not to mention, though, that it also got fans' butts out of the seats and the fans on their feet yelling and screaming but that that's really what they like about it and they don't really want to don't really want to get rid of that do they now scotty morrison noted at in the june meeting of the rules committee during the past season there was a 62 percent increase in fighter fighting major penalties over the previous years Stay tuned, Scotty. You're going to see how your zebras do in the next few years, and it won't be pretty. A little more from Scotty Morrison. He says that on-ice performances of game officials will be reviewed via videotape this season. But the referees couldn't get too upset about this. But he says, for sure, don't forget that what we're doing here is not looking at the judgment calls made by referees. Those calls are not subject to this video scrutiny. Uh, what they're looking on with these videotapes, uh, the 1970 videotape quality won't be that great for this, but they say they're going to do it. They're going to be looking at the positioning of the referees during the play. Morrison says the judgment of NHL on-ice officials is impeccable and he's supported by Clarence Campbell in that goofy claim. So the idiotic calls that we're accustomed to seeing in NHL games in 1971 will continue unabated and now 50 years later it's even worse. Now we know why it's always been this way and we've even suggested possible solutions to the problem but Sadly, here in 2021, it's going to take a while 
before the godfathers of hockey finally acknowledged that they really don't care about their product and they want to get the officiating right. A bit of news out of Toronto on Harold Ballard and Stafford Smythe. You know, they're both uh, under uh, indictment for fraud and theft charges in Toronto. They've been released on their own recognizance since the charges were laid and the two were arrested. This week they had a trial date. I don't know if they appeared. The uh, news item really didn't mention were there. I, I would wager that they weren't and that the lawyers represented them. Uh, but this week they were remanded until September 26th to set a date and that means on September 26 a date for the trial of the two individuals would be set. I'm going to give you a bit of a spoiler here. One of these guys is going to jail and one of them is not going to jail but not because he will have been acquitted. Stay tuned. You want to know uh, what kind of guy Red Shetler is? Now Red Shetler is the former National Hockey League linesman who is now going to be a talking head for the Philadelphia Flyers. That is, he's going to be a play-by-play announcer. He's left the ice to go to the press box to broadcast games. Well, we'll tell you a little bit. This gives you a little insight into the kind of guy that Pat Shetler was. And Jim Kearney of the Vancouver Sun passes along this gem, which I couldn't resist reporting on this week. What happens here is... uh, Kearney says is one of the more embarrassing actual uh, defeats that Shetler uh, kind of experienced during his linesman career. Uh, After a game last year in Philadelphia, Shetler was having a late night, quote, snack with two fellow uh, on-ice officials following a game. Shetler found himself sitting next to a scruffy, long-haired, unwashed young man at the end of a coffee counter. They don't say it's a bar. A former RCAF phys ed instructor and very much of a short-haired fitness buff, you know the type, Pat started talking to the hippie type, ending up in an impassioned pep talk on the benefits of fitness, the non-use of pot, and related facets of clean living, which it was quite obvious to Shetler that this young fellow did not engage in. The hippie thought that despite his pot-smoking lifestyle, he was every bit as fit as the former National Hockey League linesman. So a foot race three blocks up the street and back was arranged. A passing police cruiser offered to escort them, and that was probably a good idea because Philadelphia, no place to be on the streets, even running, at 1 a.m. So off they went, neck and neck, streaking up the street. Well, not streaking in the naked sense, but running very fast up the street, Neck and neck, Shetler stepped up the pace just before the turn to come back, and the hippie stayed with him. He stepped it up again after the turn, and the hippie was still there right on his hip. When they got a block to go, Shetler put on his finishing kick, and so did the hippie, and you guessed it. The hippie won, he passed him, and it just shows that fitness, the daily shower, and the short haircut lost the race by 10 yards. 
One of the bigger stories this week was the official announcement of Bobby Orr's signing of his five-year, $200,000 a year contract with the Boston Bruins. Alan Eagleson, Orr's uh, mouthpiece, had actually uh, said many times this summer that Bobby had not signed on the dotted line all summer. He now revealed, quite conveniently, that Bobby had actually put pen to paper on the new deal back in February of this year, thus making him, of course, exempt from the wage and price freeze initiated by United States President Richard Nixon this month. Of course, Bobby did. Of course, he signed it then. Allen would never intentionally lie about him not signing it, would he? Well, anyway, there's going to be more on Allen Eagleson, as most of you know, coming out from time to time. But as far as this announcement goes, we let John Ahern of the Boston Globe give us this report. Ahern writes that Bobby Orr is going to be around our town, that's Boston, for the next five hockey seasons anyway, and then we'll have to wait a while to find out if he'll stay any longer. Hockey's greatest player made that official when it was announced by the Bruins that he had signed a contract for five years, ending for good all the rumors he's thinking of quitting next year or the year after that. Speculation was that Orr signed for $1 million over five years, which would set his yearly stipend at about two hundred grand. But I may take some time off after that, he said, only he wasn't very definite about it. You say you're going to quit after six months, and you mean every word of it when you say it, Bobby explained, but then six months goes by and you have no intentions of quitting at all. We'll just have to see that what comes up at the time. Al Eagleson, or his attorney, feels that the contract won't be affected by President Nixon's wage and price freeze. He said the contract was actually signed in February, but we'll have to see what happens. I'm not so knowledgeable on American legislation. Weston Adams Jr., the president of the Bruins, said there had been no announcement of the signing when it was made because some minor matters had to be resolved that both parties felt that negotiations are personal matters and shouldn't be made public. No figures were mentioned, of course, in the press release, and none ever will be unless Orr chooses to divulge them himself, and that's unlikely because he does whatever Al Eagleson tells them to do. It's assumed that payments to Orr by the Bruins will be deferred over a period of years to lighten the huge tax load that he's going to have to carry if he's getting the money up front right now. Asked if Orr is the richest uh, player in the NHL, Eagleson gave the impression that that assumption would be entirely correct. Eagleson said, we always said Bobby will be a millionaire by the time he's 30, and we are correct on that count. He has endorsements which bring in as much money as his hockey uh, salary is, although if it weren't for hockey, of course, he wouldn't have those endorsements. It was estimated by the group of more than 100 in the Garden Club where the announcement was being made that Orr is close to that million mark right now, seven years earlier than the age mentioned by Mr. Eagleson. So why would you keep this kind of thing quiet? Elementary, my dear Watson. 
You don't want Uncle Sam to know how much you're making if you're planning on hiding parts of the uh, income that he, you're earning so you can pay less taxes or, in the case of Mr. Eagleson, launder some money or move it to places where it won't be detected by either your client or the government. In the press conference, Orr looked well-rested and a little bit heavier than he was when the season ended so abruptly for the Bruins late in April. Bobby's hair is longer than it's ever been, and he seems to have a lot more personal confidence. He was friendly and easy, and he even kidded about his latest engagement. Bobby said, when I came in, I was congratulated on my engagement. But he laughed and said, it's very nice, but I wish they'd tell me who she is. I've got a couple of girlfriends, but I'm not engaged to anyone. And that is our show for, for this final week of August 1971. And what did we learn in a week that had some pretty interesting things happening? Well, we learned Bobby Orr signed that much-awaited contract. But now the story is that he actually put his name on the dotted line months and months ago. And now, of course, uh, we really, you know, that just didn't happen. Those, uh, that's revisionist history now. He signed it months and months ago. He didn't sign it recently, as Eagleson said. And we know what really happened. We got a little clarity on the NHL's efforts to curb bench-clearing brawls, or maybe not. Given the events of the next few years, we'll see how the NHL bigwigs absolutely didn't get it as usual. And you know what? 50 years later, it hasn't changed much, has it? And we got a little insight into what kind of guy the new Flyers broadcaster, Pat Red Shetler, really is. And he'll fit right in with those Philadelphia media guys of the 70s, I think. Or maybe not. Well, as September rolls around, as it will next week, we'll have some more hockey news starting. Uh, people are starting to wake up from their summer slumbers, and here are some of the stories we're working on. We will have blockbuster news out of Maple Leaf Gardens that would shape the future of the Maple Leaf Hockey Club for decades to come, and we'll tell you all about it. This is, as some people felt, the true beginning of the end. There will be news on the ownership of the Spectrum Arena in Philadelphia, which of course is home to the Flyers, and we'll have a few big signings next week, including one veteran who surprisingly, surprisingly tops the $100,000 a year plateau, and it's not a guy that you would have thought would have been given that kind of money by the team for whom he played. We'll also have a little bit of arbitration news as well. The 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole. I can't thank him enough for all his hard work. Andy's going to be with us here in Port Colburn for a few months on uh, some work-related uh, presence that he's doing here. Should be interesting to have him uh, side by side and it should make the podcast even better. Andy produces podcasts professionally. If you want to get something going, uh, get a hold of me and I'll put you in touch with Andy. He's a a true media professional. 
the very popular Juno-nominated indie rock group from Toronto, the Rural Alberta Advantage, provides our intro and exit music. They put on a great live show. They're going to start putting shows on, hopefully over the winter and into next year. And if you get a chance to see them live, do not miss the opportunity. Other musical pieces in the show and of course all the sound effects are designed and implemented by Andy Cole. Our research comes from files at the Toronto Star, the Toronto Globe and Mail and of course the many fine publications found at newspapers.com. You can find us on Twitter every day at at Hockey 50 Years. We're on Facebook under the 50 Years Ago in Hockey banner. We have a WordPress site, Hockey50YearsAgo.com. And this podcast appears every week on the Hockey Podcast Network. You can get a plethora of hockey uh, podcasts there. I think we have over 60 in the network right now. Don't forget our Patreon account at Patreon.com slash Hockey 50 Years. Thank you to everyone who tunes in and who subscribes to the show. The 71-72 season is going to be very interesting for many, many, many reasons. And we will be here to bring it all to you. And on that note, we will see you next time. When the